Hello everyone. It is so good to be with you today and I am immensely excited about this new sermon series that we are going to be journeying on for the next couple of weeks. One of my favorite topics is family and it's so important for us to understand that family is God's divine institution. It's an institution that provides a safe and nurturing, transformative environment for all of us to enjoy. It is God's plan that within the circle of family, we are cared for, we are loved, and we are protected. This was God's original intention for fullness and wholeness and loving relationships. But there are many people who have who have not really experienced the blessing of family, but have also unfortunately experienced pain and brokenness in the family environment. But what we, what we are going to be looking at in this series is just to see even where there may have been those moments of brokenness, Jesus can come and bring wholeness and bring restitution. Jesus doesn't throw away broken pieces. Just as this um, pottery displays here, the golden thread that holds the once broken pieces together brings a uniqueness, it brings a beauty, it, it increases the value of this original piece of pottery. So we are excited to see Jesus work in your life through this time. We, we pray that you would open your hearts to hear what Jesus wants to do. Now for me to introduce my, my sermon to you, I would like to introduce you to one of my family members, my older brother. His name is Stephen, and we grew up uh, together having a very good relationship. We are very close. We are actually only 13 months apart. When I became a parent for, for the first time, and then when we had our second child, I realized how brave my mom was when she fell pregnant with me. She was only, my brother was only four months old when my mom fell pregnant with me. So I have great respect for my mom raising two boys at such a young age. And I would like to compare and contrast some similarities and differences between my brother and myself as a way of, of letting you into my, my family life. So some similarities. We were both incredibly crazy mad about sport. We learned how to play tennis together. We played hockey together. We played cricket together. We spent an insanely huge amount of time in the cricket nets. Because my brother and I were, were close in age, we landed up playing in the same sports team in high school. So we, we ha have many beautiful moments and memories together. We learned how to drive together. We learned how to fish and how to ski, water ski. Uh, we used to go caravanning every December holiday. And this is where we enjoyed those moments. But I think the greatest similarity that my brother and I have is that we married our high school sweethearts who just happened to be best friends. So I married Michelle, my wife, and my brother married Michelle's best friend, Tracy. That is something we just hold so special to, uh, to our relationship. But there are some differences. And here are some of them. My brother received the brawn gene. You know the, the statement, brains versus brawn? He received the athletic genes. He's quite a strong, muscular, muscular man. 
And um, when I was at school, my cricket coach, he called me pins. The reason he called me pins is because he made reference to my, my legs. I received a little bit more of the brain's gene. And, I'm, and I don't mean my brother is not clever, but I happen to excel in the academics. On Sunday afternoons, between 2.30 to 5.30, my brother used to sit and watch the Formula One race. Uh, religiously every Sunday when it was on and he, that's how I used to spend his Sunday afternoons. I spent most of my Sunday afternoons studying. I was the, the academic one. My brother was a left-handed batsman and a, 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 a left-handed golfer. I was right-handed. We used to enjoy our Saturday afternoons together watching provincial rugby. Um, many of you Remember the great rivalry in the 1980s between the Northern Transvaal rugby team and the Western Province rugby team. My brother was a Northern Transvaal su supporter. I was a Western Province supporter. We used to sit and watch this game together. We used to take a loaf of bread, cut it down the middle, separate it. My brother would eat peanut butter and strawberry jam, and I would eat peanut butter and apricot jam. There, there was a difference within us. One of the greatest differences that, I, uh, that we have in our relationship is my brother loves loud music and he loves fast cars. There was a, a moment in his early 20s where he bought himself a CTI Golf and he put 1,500 watts worth of speakers into his car. That is something that has never even crossed my mind to do, but this is something my brother absolutely loved driving around in his little fast sports car pumping his music so we really had a great relationship and we we have been blessed with some beautiful moments together now the reading that I that I'm going to be doing today from the Bible also speaks about two brothers in Luke 15 Jesus shares a parable he tells a story about a family, a father and his two sons. And Jesus is speaking to an audience of people and he's taking them on a journey and he's telling them the story. He's comparing and contrasting the lives of these two brothers in order to share spiritual truths to them about their, their relationship with their heavenly father. And in telling the story, Jesus was hoping that people would get a, a better idea of this spiritual family relationship. The Father in Luke 15 represents Father God, the God of the Bible, our Heavenly Father. And as we go into this portion today, would you just open up your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about the comparison and the contrasting moments in the lives of these two brothers, how they respond to, to the message that the dad gives them, this message of hope and love. And I believe that God is going to speak to you through this, through this message. The title of my message today is Finding and Restoring. Let's read together Luke 15 from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Some translations say that these tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. 
saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus not only goes out to find these sinners and tax collectors, he receives them, but he, in his heart, he realizes he can't just find them. He needs to bring restoration. How does Jesus do that? He organizes a meal. He, he gathers these people around food. Now, if you think about mealtime, I know in our family, these are opportunities where we get to sit at the end of the day to share some time together and, and to speak about our day. We, we build our relationship. It's, it's, an, it's a great moment of connecting with one another. And this is what Jesus was doing. He had found them, but now he wanted to restore them through greater times of relationship. Now, we, we read that the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled. The tax collectors and the, and the sinners, they gathered around Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling. They were grumbling because Jesus was eating a meal with these people. Now, that very act that Jesus showed should have brought about rejoicing and celebration. But it brought about grumbling. Jesus turns his attention to this other group of people, the Pharisees and the scribes. And he realizes that he needs to he needs to reach out to them. He needs to find them. But not only find them, he needs to restore them. So what does Jesus do next? He tells three parables about finding and restoring. The first parable had to do, uh, has to do with a hundred sheep. And one of them goes, uh, gets lost in the wilderness. The shepherd or the man, he leaves the 99. He goes to find the one that is in the wilderness he finds it and he restores it back to the flock. The second parable is about a woman who lost a, a silver coin. She loses it in her house. She spends time looking throughout her house to, to try and find that coin and then restore it back to the, the, the necklace item that, that students of the, the scriptures believe it was a part of. Um, students believe that this coin was part of a necklace. And so this woman finds the coin and she restores it back to its original place in this beautiful necklace. Jesus is preparing us through these two parables for the third parable, which we all know as the parable of the prodigal son. As we study this portion, you'll see that it's not just about one son. But Jesus is wanting to speak to us about both sons that this father has in the parable. Let's read together from verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate 
and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. He ran. He embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Now, I would love to just take a deeper look into this portion of scripture and let us compare and contrast the relationship between the younger and the older brother and, and the message that this incredible father um, is sharing with his sons, this message of finding and restoring. It starts with the younger brother coming to the father and asking his father for his share of the inheritance. Now, in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, if a father had had two sons, and if this father had died, the two sons would have inherited his estate. But the eldest son would have inherited two-thirds of the estate, while the younger son would have inherited one-third of the estate. The older brother uh, would have been blessed with a double portion of what the younger brother would have received. But this would have only taken place when the father died. This younger son is coming to his father and he's saying, I want my inheritance now. The younger son wanted the father's things, but he did not want the father. He wanted the estate. He wanted the wealth. He wanted the prosperity and the status that went with it. But he didn't really care about his father. If the original, list, the, the original listeners to this parable of Jesus, they would have been amazed at this request that the son made. It was unheard of. A son 
would not treat his father this way in that culture? How does the father respond? The father's response is is even more amazing to the listeners that Jesus was speaking to. The listeners at the time would have thought that this Middle Eastern father would have driven the younger son out of his home, definitely um, um, speaking to him harshly and verbally, but maybe physically pushing him out of the home. That's the response that these listeners would have been used to. But the father does not respond in that way. He responds by dividing his property and giving it to the younger son. Now, it's important for us to understand that land um, in that time represented the wealth of the, the owner, the father. Now, the, the Greek word for word property means bios, which actually talks about the sustaining of life. So when this younger son is coming and he's asking his dad for his inheritance and his property, the father would have had to sell the land in order to get the money in order to give it to the son. The father would have had to tear apart the very life that was sustaining him and his family in order to give it to the younger son. The father would have had to tear apart his status in the community because his land was represented his status in his community. That younger son was asking his father to do something incredible. The son was asking his father to tear himself apart. And this is exactly what the father did. The younger son takes his portion of the inheritance and we read that he squanders everything. His life lands up in ruins and he literally lands up in the pigsty, in the mud. He comes to his senses and he thinks of a plan. And part of his plan, the first part of his plan is to go home. And this is simple, but it is profound. Home is not primarily a place. It's a relationship. It's where you belong. It's where you are accepted. He longs to come home. This is the heart of the father for his son to be found and restored. But there is a second part to his plan. So his, the first part of his plan is to, is to go home, not just to the physical dwelling place, but to, to be in relationship with his dad again. The second part of his plan is that he would go to his father and, and, and to say that he was no longer worthy to be called his son. He was going to ask his dad to make him like one of his hired servants. Now, the father would have had two types of servants. He would have had those um, ordinary servants or slaves that lived on the property that would enjoy the benefit of living on the land and eating those meals. But there were also hired servants that the father had. These hired servants did not stay on the property. They did not enjoy the meals that were provided for them. The hired servants stayed in the town. They earned a wage but after working on the property for the day, they would return back to their home. The younger son realizes that he cannot come back into the community after what he has done. He has ins insulted his father. And there's no way that his father would bring about restoration just through an apology. The younger son's plan is to work his way back 
and to try and restore the little that may still be intact. The youngest son wanted to pay back the inheritance that his father gave to him. Some students of the word believe that it was almost 14 years worth of wages that the son was prepared to pay back. This was the son's plan in order to make restitution. He wanted to come back to his father and say, I don't want to be reinstated as a son. I don't deserve the status of sonship. I'm not worthy of it. I want to earn my way back. Make me like one of your hired servants. I want to pay you back. And that was the plan. So the younger son, he heads off home and the father sees him coming. How would you have responded if you saw your child coming back who had insulted you and who had wished that you were, were dead? I, I, I'm sure most of us would have thought, wow, this better be good. There better be some serious repentance here and perhaps then I would consider reinstating this person to the, to the family. No, the father doesn't do that. He runs. He embraces his son. He accepts him. He, the, the fact that his father ran shows that he wanted to protect his son from the angry community and family members who were ready to, to not be kind to the son if he ever had to show his face again to this family. He, the father then kisses his son. And it, it wasn't just any old kiss. It was the kiss of forgiveness. The Greek word for that is kataphileo. And the younger son would have experienced that. He would have experienced the, the emotion of the father. The, the, the father showed complete emotional abandonment. He runs and he welcomes his son. The son tries to roll out his plan of restitution, but the father will have nothing to do with it. The son does repent to his father. He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't go into the part of saying he wants to be one of his, his father's hired servants. He doesn't do that because I think the son realizes that the repayment of the inheritance is no longer a priority for the, for the father. The father is not worried about the repayment of the inheritance that the son received. The, the son realizes that the father is concerned about the restoration of re relationship. And that is only something that could be restored from the father's side. The son couldn't do anything about that. This was true repentance. This younger son, he confessed his sin and he dropped any effort on his part to put, to put things right with his father. How often do we sometimes come to God and when we repent, we, we have a plan and, and we feel like there's something that we can still do to make right with God. God, God is looking for our hearts to be found by him. He, he is wanting to restore us. The message that the father is giving to his son is come home. I'm sure that that was his prayer when his son was in the far land. He would have prayed let my son come home. And that's the same message that God gives to us today. The father then calls the servants to bring the robe and the ring and the sandals. And the ring was very significant. In, in that culture, 
the ring worn by the family members would have had the family crest on it. So what is the father communicating? The father is saying that I'm not going to let you work your way back into this family. I'm going to bring you back. The father confirms the sonship on the younger son's life in that very moment. He then goes on to say, bring the fattened calf. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. They began to celebrate. If we look back at the previous two parables, when the sheep was found, when the coin was found, there was rejoicing. The father responds with rejoicing and he invites the entire community. This would have been one of the greatest days in the father's life. What does the son do? The only thing that the youngest son could have done was to accept what the father had given him. He accepted the robe. He accepted the ring. He allowed the servants to put shoes on his feet. He entered into the feast. And that's what we need to do. Let us receive what God wants to bring to us. Let, it, let us come home to our Heavenly Father. So at the end of part one, we see a beautiful restoration that takes place. The, the younger uh, son who ran off and squandered his inheritance has been restored back to the family. And the, the family is united. And, but that's not exactly true. There's one more character in the story. And this is the oldest son. We now see a new conflict that arises because of the feast that the father has called. The older brother was in the field and when he came closer to the house, he heard this, this music and this dancing, which he had never heard before. It was so foreign to him that he had to ask one of the servants about what was happening. The servant responded by saying that the brother had returned. The father had accepted him. The brother didn't just return, but he returned empty-handed. And this made no matter to the father. The father still restored him in the relationship that he had with him. How did the elder brother respond? He was furious. He was angry. He refused to identify himself with the finding and the restoration of his younger brother. It was his turn now to insult the integrity of this family. How should the father have responded to the way that the, the, the elder brother was now acting? Once again, we see this father respond with humility, almost in humiliation, because in that time, it would have been the elder brother's responsibility to host the guest at such a feast. The elder brother was out in the fields. So first of all, the elder brother wasn't there to host the, the party. Secondly, the elder brother refused to be a part of this feast where the younger brother was associated. The older father, the older, the, the father goes to the older brother and he pleads with him. The scripture says he entreated him. He was saying, son, come and join this feast. The very message that he gave to the younger son, he also now gives to the older son. The older son responds disrespectfully. He says, look, he doesn't even use a term of endearment to the father. He just says, look, all these years I've been good and obeyed you. You've never done such a thing for me. Now, the ironic thing is that there was something that the older brother had also never done. He had never loved 
his father. And in this moment, we see that this elder son had perhaps thought of himself as a servant and never as a son. When the father goes out to plead with his son, he says, my son, I have always been with you and everything I have is yours. This was the literal truth. When the father gave that one third inheritance to the younger son, the only portion of the estate that was remaining was the two thirds and that belonged solely to the elder brother. The, the younger brother was no longer an heir to the estate. It was just the older brother. So when the father said that all that I have is yours, he, he, it was the truth. Everything that the father had belonged to the older brother. The older brother would have inherited that at some point in his life. The older brother is particularly upset because of the cost that this feast would have incurred. Now, in those times, meat was a luxury. It was very expensive and it wasn't eaten at every meal. And the most expensive meat would have been the fattened calf. The fact that the, the father pulled out the fattened calf, killed it and prepared it for a meal, meant that this celebration for the entire community would have required an exorbitant amount of, of cost. The, the brother is even more furious because this, he's seen his inheritance being diminished because of the celebration that is taking place for the younger son, the younger son who has returned empty-handed, the younger son whom the, the older brother did not enjoy what he had done with his inheritance. Can you see the tension between these two brothers? What is the older brother communicating? He is now communicating that he wanted the father's things, but not the father. There's a similarity between the younger son and the older brother. His, fa his father continues to want to find the older brother and he continues to plead with him. He says, my son, I still want you to join the feast. And at that very moment, we are sitting at the edge of our seats. Can you imagine the audience listening to Jesus's message? Jesus ends the parable. Talk about a cliffhanger. We don't get to hear about the brother's response. Wow. Now, when we read other stories in the Bible and other parables, Jesus shows himself to be an incredible storyteller. Why would Jesus have had stopped at this very moment? Why, why would he have allowed his audience to try and figure out what would have happened here? What Jesus is trying to get across is that the people would have, would have thought through this comparison and this contrasting ideas between the two brothers. Jesus was communicating these two sons. One was good, the other was bad. But they were both alienated from the father. They both wanted the father's things, but they didn't want the father. The younger brother was trying to get control by leaving and disobeying, but the older son was trying to get control by staying and obeying. The younger brother was trying to get control of the father's things by breaking all the rules. But the older son was trying to get control of the father's things by keeping all the rules. Jesus is showing us that they are both lost. They both don't have a relationship 
with the father. Can you identify different aspects of the younger brother's life and the older brother's life for yourself? I was so challenged in preparing this message. I saw a lot of the older brother in my own life. Yes, I, I have taken a moment where I've responded of my sin like the, the younger brother and I've come to my heavenly father and asked him for forgiveness and restoration. But even though I'm in relationship with the father, I, found that I, I find that I sometimes act like this older brother where I try and bring a plan to God and, and, and try and work my plan into his, his plan for my life. So there's so much there that we can apply to our own lives. Jesus ends the parable without a resolution. We don't know what happens to the family. Yes, Jesus wants us to compare and contrast these two brothers, but he also wants us to see ourselves in the story. He wants us to long for something. He wants us to seek something. He wants us to come home. He wants us to ho hope for home. In the first two parables, we see that someone went out to look for the lost sheep. In the second parable, we, we see that someone went to go and look for the lost coin. But in this third parable, nobody went out to look for the lost son. Jesus wants us perhaps to ask the question, who should have gone out to look for the younger son? Who do you think? It should have been the older brother's responsibility. The oldest brother, as I mentioned earlier, he had the blessing of receiving a double portion of the inheritance. And not only was it his role to receive this or, or his uh, blessing to receive the inheritance, but it was also his role to keep the family together, to continue to run the estate. The elder brother in this parable, he should have gone to the father and said, Father, I can see that the younger, uh, my younger brother's life is in ruins. I will go out. I will search for him. I will, will, will look out for him. It will be at my expense, but I, I will do that. I will bring him back to this family. It was a great cost for the older brother because he was the sole heir. Every robe and every ring and every fattened calf which the father had given to the younger brother when he returned ultimately also belonged to the older brother. So when the father brings the younger brother back into the family, he can only do that at the expense of the older brother. It's not free. It wasn't free. Someone had to pay. Yes, for, for the younger son, the restoration was free. But for the older son, it would have been immensely expensive. You and I, we need a true elder brother. God was unable to just bring us back into this, his spiritual family. We, he was unable to just adopt us and to accept us and to, to clothe us, except at the expense of a true elder brother. The younger brother in this story, unfortunately, had a Pharisee for an older brother. But we do not. Thank you for that, Father. For us, there's a true elder brother. His name is Jesus. Jesus was able to find us. He was able to restore us. Salvation was absolutely free for us, but it was unbelievably costly for Jesus.
We didn't get an older brother who went to a far off land or to the wilderness to, to find us. He came all the way from heaven to earth. To earth. We didn't get an older brother who, who had to just pay for our expense from his wallet. He paid for us with his life. And on the cross, Jesus died for all of our wrongdoings, all of our self-satisfaction like the younger brother. He also died for all of our self-righteousness, the, the, the negative thing of the older brother. So we could, could be brought home. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Doesn't, doesn't that bring a sense of liberation to you in your relationship with your heavenly father? If we are moved by what our true elder brother Jesus has done, and if we understand what everything that he has given to us in order to bring us home, it will change our relationship with our heavenly father. The father is calling us to come and feast with him. And I would like to end this message by making reference to Revelation 3 verse 20, where Jesus says, if you hear me knocking, then answer the door. I invite you to come in and to feast with me. We started this portion of scripture with Jesus having a meal with the tax collectors and the sinners. And I want to end this moment today with an invitation that Jesus is extending to you. He's inviting you in to come and join this eternal feast with him. I trust that you've been encouraged by what I've said today. I, I trust that you've been able, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and just shown you areas of your life where you can grow closer to the Father. My message to you today was one of finding and rest, restoring. The message that our Heavenly Father is given to us, the message that the Father in this parable shared with His sons is, Sons, I love you. I will always look for you. I will always want to restore you. I invite you home. Come to the feast. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have reminded us today about your true character. You are a Father who absolutely adores us. You are a father who wants to find us if we are lost. You are a father who wants to restore family relationships. You are a father that is saying, come home. Don't, don't leave home. You are a father that is saying, we don't have to bring a plan in order to be in right relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch every life that hears this message. I pray that you would bring a confidence into our hearts, knowing that we have been accepted, that we have been restored, that we are loved by Heavenly Father. Jesus, thank you that you are our, our true older brother. Thank you that you paid the ultimate price. Thank you that <clears throat> because of the shame that you experienced on the cross, we can enjoy the robe of righteousness, that we can enjoy uh, our, our new identity as a, as a son and a daughter of God. We can enjoy the privilege of, of living out an incredible purpose as a son and a daughter of God. But Jesus, it was at a great expense. It, it was at the expense of your life. Jesus, we, we receive all of that today. I thank you, Father, that you would continue to work in all our lives as we continue to go into this series of, of family. 
and, and to speak about family being restored and the beautiful work that you can do. I pray that you strengthen our relationships. I pray that you would make us whole and that as we continue to journey with your Holy Spirit, that you empower us to live the lives that you have called us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.